five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Q Podcast. Welcome to the third and final episode of our three-part winter series. Anyone familiar with the XPRIZE, and in particular the Ansari and Google Lunar XPRIZES, will be familiar with today's speaker. In this recent Talks at Google, recorded on December 11, 2018, the speaker is Peter Diamandis, who discussed exploring exponential technologies. While the talk itself is not targeted specifically at the space community, it does discuss technologies related to space. The broader ideas discussed are useful for anyone interested in innovation. Diamanda spends about 15 minutes talking to the audience before doing a fireside chat with Jack Hydery, Director of AI and Quantum at X, X being formerly known as Google X. For those who are not familiar with Peter Diamandis, he is the founder and executive chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation, the world's leading large-scale incentive competition that produced, among others, the Ansari XPRIZE, which directly led to the founding of Virgin Galactic, Virgin Orbit, the spaceship company, and many other companies. He is also the executive founder of Singularity University, a graduate-level Silicon Valley institution that counsels on growing technologies. He is also a co-founder of Bold Capital Partners, a venture fund with $250 million investing in exponential technologies. An academic, entrepreneur, and an author, Peter Diamandis holds a degree in molecular genetics and aerospace engineering from MIT and a medical degree from Harvard Medical School. He has started over 20 companies in the areas of longevity, space, venture capital, and education, and has published two books, Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think, and Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. Listen in. Thank you, Jack. A, a force of nature here. So uh, a pleasure to be here. Uh, I want to just actually tee up a bunch of quick conversations that we can carry to our fireside chat and conversation with you. Uh, so first of all, I'm clear that we're alive during the most extraordinary time ever in human history. Right? There's never been a better time to be alive other than perhaps tomorrow. Uh, we're at a time where each of us have more power than nation states had, uh, at heads of industries had just decades or a century ago. Uh, we forget how amazing the world is, right? We forget that 100 years ago in 2019 and 1918, in that one year alone, 50 million people died from the Spanish flu, right? 20 odd million people died from World War I. Scale that to today's population, you'd be talking about a quarter of a billion people that would have passed away this year. So we forget, despite all of the negative news, uh, what I call the crisis news network and so forth, we're still living in an amazing time. Uh, it's also true that I think none of us really understand how fast the world is changing. Uh, we're living in a world where technologies across the board are growing exponentially. You know, computation, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic biology, AR, VR, blockchain, all those technologies are themselves accelerating, but it's the combination of two, three, or four of those together that are accelerating things. 
Add to that the notion that in the next six years, we're going from 3.8 billion people connected on planet Earth last year at the end of 2017 to 8 billion people connected, right? We're adding 4 billion new minds into the global conversation that have never been there before. And that's a massive empowerment for acceleration. Add to that the fact that we've got more capital available flowing than ever before. We hit all-time highs in venture funds, seed funding, crowdfunding, um, ICOs, uh, sovereign investments, so more capital flowing at the same time that all the technology that we're using to make stuff happen is demonetizing faster than ever before, right? The human genome was sequenced for $100 million in 2001. Today, it's circa 500 bucks. Illumina is projecting $100 in one hour, as is the Beijing Genome Institute. So there's more money. Everything we need to do is cheaper, right? Look at Google Cloud, computational uh, capabilities. And so more people, more money, cheaper stuff, more experimentation. And what it means is we're entering a period of hyper acceleration, right? As I think about how fast the world is going, it's not slowing down. And in fact, you know, it's an acceleration of the acceleration that we're hitting. So that makes for an amazing, uh, amazing future. And one of the things that I focus on a lot is the notion that there is no problem we cannot solve. Right? And I'm clear that the right combination of technology, talent, and treasure can take on any problem. And, and my message to a lot of people around the world is you're now empowered. If you are sick and tired about a problem or you're inspired to solve something, you can. Uh, it's a matter of do you, do you give yourself permission to be that audacious and go do it. 100 years ago, the only people who could actually solve a problem at any scale were the nation states, right? Or were the robber barons, the industrialists. And even all they could do was unleash monetary policies or troops or so forth. Today, I just want you to feel and understand how empowered you are to find a problem and solve a problem. That's what gives me hope that entrepreneurs, by definition, are individuals who find problems and solve problems. And there are more and more entrepreneurs with more and more data, with more and more computational power, with more and more access to capital, solving more and more problems. So I want to give you that perspective for a moment. Another area uh, I'm excited about, I um, serve as founder and executive chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation. Jack is, uh, uh, for a while now, since the earliest days, one of my uh, trustees. And so we, we focus on uh, what are the world's biggest problems that are not being solved, and how do we set a very clear objective and say, I don't care you know, who you are, where you went to school, what you've ever done, if you solve this problem and hit these metrics, you win. And so the very first X Prize was from my you know, nine-year-old childhood passion of spaceflight. I gave up on NASA being the way I was going to go to space. I did the math, and your chance are, right, Mark, one in a thousand. Um, of being a NASA astronaut. I had a better chance of becoming an NBA all-star at 5'5 than I did a NASA astronaut. And so uh, when I read that Lindbergh in 1927 crossed the Atlantic to win a $25,000 prize and looked at the numbers, nine teams spent 400000 trying to win this $25,000 prize, and Raymond Ortega spent nothing on the losers, only paid the winner, and Lindbergh was the most unlikely guy to do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to create a prize for spaceflight. It's going to be a $10 million prize. $10 million was enough money to inspire the entrepreneurs, but not the Airbus, the Boeing, the Lockheed. I don't want the large players just buying the prize. I wanted true innovation. Uh, that 
$10 million prize inspired 26 teams around the world who spent $100 million. They're all optimists. And Bert Rutan, backed by Paul Allen, who we just lost, uh, funded that prize development and won it with Spaceship One. Richard Branson came in and bought the rights uh, to create Virgin Galactic. Uh, Richard has publicly announced he expects a flight to space approximately this month. So fingers crossed, we'll see something is what, three weeks left in the month or thereabouts. Um, and then we, on the heels of that, created a, an amazing board, very proud that we've had as board members and benefactors, Larry and Sergey and Eric and, and Anne and a multitude of, of Googlers uh, in the earliest days, uh, and folks like Elon Musk and Jim Cameron and um, Ratan Tata. And so we've launched a bunch of prizes. Let me give you a few that are active right now just for fun. Uh, Elon funded a Global Learning X Prize, uh, and we asked teams, can you build a piece of Android software that could take a child in the middle of no place from illiteracy to reading, writing, and numeracy in under 18 months? And so uh, Sundar very kindly gave us 5,000 Android tablets. Uh, with the World Food Program, we went into Tanzania, where we are right now. We interviewed hundreds of villages, and we found 2,500 kids who knew no Swahili, no English, and put the tablets in their hands. We had 800 teams enter the competition, 141-ish delivered software. We narrowed it to five finalists. Those five finalists are in 500 tablets each in the villages right now. We're measuring the impact on the child, the family, and the village. And then we're going to open source the winning software. Uh, the goal would be that this becomes part of you know, Android kernel, for example, and the notion that every time an Android device is built, it's a teacher. Right? We're, we're building a billion teachers a year. Uh, we have to go in those villages and set up power there. So that's one X prize we're doing. Uh, one that we just awarded is called the Water Abundance X prize. You know, half the disease burden on planet Earth is due to unclean drinking water. And so we asked the the team, could you pull water out of the atmosphere? There are quadrillions of liters of water in the atmosphere. When it, you know, when it condenses on particles, we call it rain. Um, and could you pull the water out of the atmosphere, 2,000 liters, for under two cents per liter from all renewable energy? And uh, we just awarded the winner of that competition uh, about a month ago. Uh, I just came back from Greece. And uh, we have a, an X Prize going on right now on, um, on mapping the ocean floor. We've mapped less than 5% of the ocean floor. Uh, the physics of salt water makes it very difficult. And so we said to win this prize, it's $7 million put up by Shell and by NOAA. Uh, you've got to build an autonomous vehicle that can launch from land, go out some, some distance, uh, tens of kilometers into the ocean, then go down 4,000 meters. Uh, and map 250 square kilometers in 24 hours on its own, return and provide the data, right? So fully autonomous, large-scale mapping. Uh, we're down to five finalists that are in, in Greece right now off the coast um, of the mainland. And uh, I met two of the five teams. One team is a group of 13 academics and grad students from Germany. Another team is two people out of Switzerland. Another team is out of Japan. And it's amazing what they're doing. It's transforming uh, what's possible in ocean. One of my favorite X Prizes going on right now is called the Avatar X Prize. And we've asked teams to build a robotic avatar. So a robot 
So imagine I'm not here, I'm back in Santa Monica where I live, and at home I've got on a pair of VR goggles and a haptic suit, and as I'm moving around, the robot's moving around. As I'm looking at you, the robot's looking at you. So it's basically a remote uh, avatar uh, telepresence to allow you to go and, um, and solve a problem, do a medical diagnostic, go into a disaster zone, and so forth. So we have over 400 teams entering that competition. So a lot of XPRIZE is going on. We can dive into more when, when Jack and I talk, or you have your questions. Another area I'm passionate about is human longevity. Uh, I'm clear we're going to be able to add 10, 20, potentially 30 healthy years in everyone's life. Right? Uh, Google's got a massive investment in Calico. Uh, besides Calico, there's a multitude of different companies going on right now. Company down in San Diego, Samumed, that's using, that's manipulating uh, WINT pathways, which is a communication pathway. That's a $13 billion private company because the results are extraordinary. They're in phase two clinical trials on a multitude of different um, anti-cancer, hair growth, anti-wrinkles, uh, osteogenesis. I mean, it's incredible what they're doing. Uh, you see companies like Unity Biosciences, which are working on synolytic medicines to kill senile cells, cells that have grown to the Hayflick limit and have stopped uh, replicating and then are becoming inflammatory agents. If you can kill those cells and make room for new cells to generate from endogenous stem cells, the organism regenerates and uh, you get an extended lifespan. Uh, another, uh, I have two companies in the longevity business. Um, one is in the stem cell business called Cellularity. Uh, we have the world's largest bank of placentas. Turns out you can think of the placenta as the 3D printer that manufactures the baby. And that placenta is the richest source of stem cells. And so those stem cells delivered back to an aging organism can extend life 30 plus percent. As we age, our stem cells in our bodies and all the compartments fall off very rapidly over time. And so one of the reasons for aging is we lose the ability to regenerate ourselves, to repair ourselves. Or the stem cells in our body, they will drop 100 to 1,000 X in population, but they undergo epigenetic changes, mutations, and so forth, and they're not capable as they were before. So stem cell replenishment is another area. Uh, one fun one uh, that, uh, that I co-founded called Human Longevity, we're down in San Diego, will be opening around the country. Uh, and what Human Longevity does is you come in for three hours. We sequence your genome, all 3.2 billion letters. We do a 30x sequencing on you. We sequence your microbiome. We look at the, your metabolome, basically the top 100 plus uh, proteins in your, and chemicals in your micro, uh, small molecules in your bloodstream. We do a full body MRI, head to toe, a brain MRI, brain vasculature, coronary CT, lung CT. And then we feed about 150 gigabytes of data into our system to determine two things. Number one, is there anything going on inside your body right now that you should know about? And number two, based upon your genetics, what are you likely to die from? And how do you find it before? So the numbers are pretty telling. The price point initially for, uh, for HLI, the, what's called the health nucleus, a facility, was 25,000 bucks. So it's not cheap. All the people who came were very... Uh, well-to-do patients, so to speak. Uh, the price has dropped down to 5000 and 3000 for subsequent visits, but still, uh, in 2%, right, so we're in a room of roughly 100, two of you 
have a brain or a aortic aneurysm you don't know about, which is kind of shocking. 2%, and this is for populations older than you are here, for 50 and older, have a, uh, a high-grade cancer tumor. 3.4% uh, have a significant cardiac condition, atrial uh, fibrillation or, or bundle branch block or so like. And we find 14% of the people who've come through have significant findings they take action on immediately. So the fact of the matter is we're all optimists. We think everything's fine in our body. And then until you go to the hospital, at which point you're like, oh shit, you know, I didn't know that. And, but I'm a pilot, I fly a couple of planes before I take off, make sure everything's in the green. But for most of us, we don't know that. Eventually, we'll all have wearables. We were talking about, I have my aura ring here, right, with about, about 14, 15 different sensors that measure my pulse waveform, my temperature, my acceleration, and give me sleep data. Um, I've got my you know, Apple Watch. I've got a small uh, little <clears throat> FRID chip implanted over here. It's got my business card on it. Um, completely useless, but eventually it'll be something useful. <laughs> but we'll all have this data uploaded to give us minute by minute how we're doing. And the goal, people say, I don't want to know if anything's wrong with me. Bullshit, of course you want to know. And you want to solve it right then at the very beginning when it's most solvable, right? So it's going from sick care, which is what it is right now, we take care of you after you're sick, to health care, to find anything at stage zero. So. I'll, I'll close Singular University. Ray and I, 10 years ago, uh, what month are we in? Well, 10 years ago, two months ago, we announced, uh, announced Singular University. Uh, I was reading Ray's book, The Singularity is Near, and I said, there's no place in the world you can go, not Harvard, not MIT, not Stanford, not Supira, whatever it might be, that you can go and actually get an overview of all the exponential technologies and understand what they're able to do in convergence. So we created a graduate program. It's now called the Global Startup Program. Our goal is 1,000 startups a year. And then we started uh, executive programs, six-day programs, where executives come in, and we give them an overview of what's going on in all the technologies and how they're converging. And it's really about you know, awareness and education. But it's, it's, we're growing you know, a, a good clip of 30 to 50% year on year. So I'll pause there and uh, bring in the maestro. Thanks, Peter. Uh, great opening talk. Thank you. Uh, let's start with connectivity. Uh, 1969, ARPANET, it's taken 50 years since then to get 3 billion, just about 40% of the world connected. 4 billion people not yet connected yeah. uh, to the internet, to everything that in this room uh, we work on, we build on, we engage in, and other companies up and down Silicon Valley and around the world. Um, talk to us about a world, um, the numbers indicate, not from us, but from, from third-party sources, that while it took 50 years to get to 3 billion, we might get the next 3 billion, that is the doubling of the number of people on the internet, in about within six, maybe seven years, yeah. so very, very soon. Paint us a picture of that world, the world where suddenly, uh, you know, huge swaths of countries uh, and others that are not online today suddenly become part of not just the information flow, but also the global economy, buying, selling, putting stuff into markets. Talk to us about that kind of world. Great question. Uh, so first of all, the layers of connectivity that are coming online, right? 5G is probably one of the, the biggest uh, incredible explosions coming online. Uh, we'll see test deployments in 2019 and really full deployments in 2020 and onward. And you know, 10 gigabit connection speeds 
means you're downloading a movie in a fraction of a second. You take your new LG TV set, you put it on the wall, you plug in the power, and it's got you know 500 channels all of a sudden. So 5G is going to is going to spread like kudzu on the planet. Uh, but on top of that, obviously, uh, Loon has now been spun out as its own company. You've got 1.2 billion dollars of money from Masasan at SoftBank backing uh, OneWeb. Uh, then you've got you know Elon who has gotten F. Uh, FCC permission for 11,000 satellites, uh, you know, a, a, a 4,000 satellite layer and a 7,000 satellite layer called um, uh, called SpaceLink, right? Starlink, Starlink. Starlink. Uh, which is incredible. And then you've got uh, terabit Boeing satellites in a MEO orbit. So we're basically covering the entire planet uh, with bandwidth. And then on top of that, we're going to all have all of these microcells on non-licensed bands. I think eventually we're all going to be dribbling bits all the time, and our AI is going to be negotiating prices on, on different mechanisms. So that sounds like a great future, dribbling bits. Dribbling like bits. That. We're all <laughs> dribbling bits. We're all going to be dribbling bits. You know, I think we're all going to have our own personal version of Jarvis eventually, yeah. right? Uh, Google Now and, and Echo and Did Siri yourself. are all, yeah. all versions of that, uh, which are which you give permission to have access to everything, your email, your conversations, your, your microbiome, your, your bloodstream, and, and it's transacting constantly. But so 8 billion people potentially connected in the next six years. Um, as the price comes down, now the question is, can they afford these devices? Right? And so can the poorest people in the world afford those devices? So. I've seen years ago uh, engineering drawings for a $20 cell phone or a $20 tablet. There is a price point at which the price of the device gets so cheap that Google's going to give them away, right? And Amazon's going to give them away to get the traffic, to get the data, to get the transactions. So I, I think we are heading very quickly towards a world of 8 billion people that are digitally connected. And if you do the math, Right. I mean, and I, I, I'm screaming this from the rooftops and no one's talking about this, which drives me nuts because four billion new people connected. And if they're just transacting, you know, on the average, ten dollars a day, that's tens of trillions of dollars flowing into the global economy that no one's talking about. And and the markets, all of these four billion new digital you know, digital newbies are all going to want insurance and banking and education and healthcare. You're also going to be creating content, right? They're going to be creating so content. So right now, there's a certain number of dominant players creating a lot of the content. And also, of course, there's distributed content and crowdsourced content. But 4 billion people are not yet part of that conversation. And, and what's going to happen is they'll generate content, they'll generate revenue, but they're also going to demand these services at de minimis you know, freemium prices. And it, it and I talk to insurance companies and, and banks and I say, listen, this is coming. They say, but that's not my marketplace. So well, it's fine. It's not your marketplace today. But some entrepreneur within 50 kilometers of, of ground zero here is working on delivering value to those individuals with a new business model. And then when it starts working, they'll bring it back to New York and Chicago and eat your lunch there. 
Great. Let's switch gears because we have a limited time. Let's go. You open with genomics. Um, the first genome sequence, um, Craig Venter's genome, was about three billion. Went down to a hundred million. Hit a thousand. Now about five hundred. And as you mentioned, probably we're on the way to a hundred dollars or yeah. even, even less. Um, and of course, the analysis with that is as important as the sequencing Absolutely. itself. And that's starting to ramp up the bioinformatics around it. Um, estimates are that right now, in total, putting aside smaller genomic tests, but in terms of whole genome sequencing, there maybe are a few hundred thousand, maximum a million people who maybe have, out of, out of seven plus billion people. When do we get to a critical mass that helps us understand the, the significance of billions of those um, base pairs that we don't understand yet the sequence significance of? In other words, yeah. we have a lot of good sense uh, about the usual 500 that are cancer drivers, that are right. uh, oncogenes. We don't have a good sense of literally billions plus of some of those uh, you know, base pairs in sequence. Tell us about the critical mass we need to start to understand the sample size that we need to really draw conclusions. Yeah, so, so we're getting amazing results with tens of thousands right now at, at HLI. I can't, I can't state the stuff until it's, it's published, but uh, you know, traditionally we talk about the exome, the part of the genome that codes for proteins, and the S2 has been euphemistically called junk DNA. But it's not junk DNA. None of it's junk DNA. It's all in some way structural or coding or uh, control segments. And it's interesting that as you look at enough large enough population, you start to say, listen, these segments of DNA are protected. Any mutation here is lethal to the person, right? So we start to discover by elimination and by subtraction fascinating parts of the genome that are worth looking at. And, and the other thing I might just yeah. say is it's the correlation. What was really exciting is the correlation between genome and then rich phenotypic data, right? When we've got your genome and then we have full body MRI and coronary and heart CT and metabolome and so forth, then you start to really correlate, aha, that's what this does. Right. And I was going to get to methylation. Um, right now, genome sequence is coming down, but the ability to get to epigenetics in terms of methyl groups, things like that. Talk to us about all the other rich information that's necessary to yeah. really draw those conclusions. So I think one of the things that is true is this next decade is going to be just discovery after discovery. And I think AI is going to play the most, is, is the only way we're going to make sense of all of it, the amount of data that's coming out. Um, and uh, I remember when I was in medical school, what got me on this path of uh, one of my massively transformative purposes is, is making 100 years old and you're 60. How do we have at 100 the cognition, the aesthetics, the mobility that we had at 60? I remember watching a TV show on long-lived sea life that some um, uh, whales could live hundreds of years, sharks could live four or 500 years, turtles could six, 700 years. And I was like, if they can, why can't we? Right? It's either a software problem or a hardware problem. But we need to swim more. <laughs> we have to be in the water more, <laughs> cool our body temperatures down. But, uh, but I really think we're going to start to unravel that and understand yeah. it. And let's jump to another area of healthcare, which is our brains. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that we're going to live longer, and it's already happening in a number of countries. But that also now is revealing greater populations with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, neurological diseases. Yeah. Um, we have, we've had a good handle so far on cardiac diseases. Uh, morbidity from cardiac has actually come down. Uh, diabetes is on the rise, but there's some you know, hopes there. Um, but talk about the neurological diseases. Yeah, so we have uh, cardiac 
conditions in our 50s and 60s, we have cancers in our 60s and 70s, and we have neurological disease in our 70s and 80s. And the fact of the matter is just for context. Now that's a bright future. I like that. <laughs> until you prevent it, right? Life is short until you yeah. extend it and, and so forth. But um, the human body was never intended to live past age 30. I mean, just to put it on the table here, right? You would go into puberty at age 13, you'd have a baby, and then by the time you were 26, your baby was having a baby. And back then, 100,000 years ago, before Whole Foods and McDonald's was around, right, when food was scarce, the last thing you wanted to do for the selfish gene was to take the money out of your grandchildren's mouths and now compete with them. So you would do the best thing you could, give your bits back to the environment. But of course, that's changed now. And we're beginning to extend life. And as we extend life, we run into new problems. Um, there is uh, amazing drugs in phase two clinical trials right now. Uh, we're seeing impact from senolytic medicines. We're seeing impacts from wind pathway manipulations on cancers and, uh, and Alzheimer's. Um, uh, I think one of the areas that is super exciting as well is the whole field of brain-computer interface. Right? My last count, there's probably a billion dollars a year going into interfacing your neocortex with the cloud uh, in buildings not far from here. And so at the end of the day, we're going to learn a lot about how the brain works and the root causes of these diseases, as we have over and over again. But a lot of it's going to come because our ability to sense and gather data and analyze the data is, you know, billions, trillions of times, you know, better yeah. Um, let's turn to one of your first passions, space. Uh, sure. uh, <laughs> um, let's talk about really space travel. That's, yeah. um, we hear from Branson that it may be imminent. Uh, Virgin Galactic may be launching imminently with paying customers. And there's been a long line of thousands of people putting uh, their bets uh, in terms of their down payments on, on getting a seat on that ride, um, which is it's great to see any, that. Any Virgin Galactic ticket holders here in the audience out of curiosity? <laughs> I, I am. Okay. okay. Lots of customers potential. Exactly. I'll, I'll take uh, checks later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but talk to us about what you see as the odds that we're going to be a multi-planet species within, say, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. Sure. Um, we obviously have the potential, the technology. I don't think that there's doubt that we can actually get to another planet now. But, but talk to us about the will and the mo mobilization to make that happen. Yeah. So probably the, the single most important uh, driver that's making that happen is the individual passionate uh, actor, in this case in the form of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and just past uh, uh, Paul Allen. And it's interesting, right? A lot of these individuals grew up, in the case of Jeff, who I've known for 35 years since the early days of SEDS. I was uh, founder of SEDS and said, and Jeff ran the Princeton chapter. Um, I remember meeting Jeff after he started Amazon. I said, what are you doing with this Amazon thing? And he goes, well, I'm going to make a lot of money there and spend it on space. <laughs> no shit, really. And, uh, and Elon's committed, said, I will spend all his money on opening up space. That is his, both of them are that committed. And I think a lot of it was those who were born during the Apollo and shuttle era got enamored with this vision, right, from Star Wars and Star Trek and all of those things. And then NASA never implemented uh, it never it never paid off on the deal. And so now you've got individuals saying, we'll do it. Um, 
I've known Elon since he sold PayPal and watched what he did with with uh, with SpaceX, with the Falcon 1 and 1E and Falcon 9 and Heavy, and I would never bet against him. He is dead set on making that happen, and I think he will. Uh, you know, he set a target at landing in 2024 on the Martian surface. Okay, listen, I'll give him an extra four years, um, but could he get there by 2028? Uh, I would bet on him over any government, hands down. Uh, and then Jeff is sort of the uh, the, tur- the tortoise in the race, right? He's committed a billion dollars a year, and he's just that is his end his end game. And so I think we're going to do it. I think it's going to be a function of um, you know I don't think governments can take the risks anymore that were inherent in the early Apollo program days. It's way too, failure is not an option for them, and therefore risk is no option either. But individuals can say, I'm going to do this. I mean, you know, there is a Tesla on a Earth asteroid return. That's insane. I mean, just like, like, like game over, proof point. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a number of great entrepreneurs, and we can see how they're changing the world. So let's talk about entrepreneurship now. Yeah. Um, here in Silicon Valley, we know the power of entrepreneurship. We see it. We feel it. There's other key entrepreneurial centers around the world. But it's not spread evenly enough yet. It's not as inclusive as it needs to be and could be. And not only is that the case, we're missing out on the talents of many of those people from diverse backgrounds that could be part of the entrepreneurial um, journey, lift yeah. and yeah. journey. Um, what are your thoughts around how to change that game? So, first of all, we're dematerializing, democratizing, uh, and demonetizing all the tools for entrepreneurship. Right? So, it used to be that to be an entrepreneur, you needed to have computational power, you needed to have an Ethernet cable, or a modem plug, or whatever, and you needed to have... You know, now, obviously, with Google Cloud and AWS, you have all the computational power you want, uh, by the number is by 2023, I believe there'll be 300 billion dollars available in crowdfunding, which means anyone around the world with a good idea can launch a crowdfunding campaign to get the capital. So capital becomes less of a restriction. Um, obviously, Google makes the world's information available. So what used to be scarce resources, um, I mean bandwidth. I remember back in 2001, I had a, a stealth company called Blastoff. My number one expense was Akamai on bandwidth to send video to people. It was like ridiculous, and now it's nothing. So we're literally everything you need to be to uh, to create an entrepreneurial startup is becoming available globally at lower and lower costs. Uh, and so it's now the number one scarce resource that I see in entrepreneurship around the world is mindset. So I was just in Greece at uh, an SU Athens summit, uh, meeting there with heads of the country and the entrepreneurs, and they were saying, what do we need to do to become more innovative? It's a country of 10 million people. It's like one Google-sized success story dwarfs the budget of the country. So it's like you need to create a mindset of entrepreneurship. You need to have the, you know, some venture capital would be great, but failure needs to be an option. So a lot of Central and South American countries, if you fail, it's a black mark for life, right? Here, we call it success. At X, you know, you celebrate a failure every week when someone gives up their, their, 
their company and say, we're going to spend our money and our time someplace else better. That's amazing. So it's teaching uh, that, that mindset of failure. I had this conversation with Ratan Tata, one of our fellow trustees, who, who in India, it's really hard. If you fail, you're screwed. And so you don't take big steps. And so he wanted to sort of dismiss that ethos. And so he was like, we're going to celebrate failure. We're going to celebrate a great idea that was worth trying that failed and give this person their next, their next shot. So speaking of the mindset breakthrough, and then we'll turn to one or two questions to the audience if you want to line up at the, at the mic if people have questions. Um, you know, uh, you've, you've now, SU has now trained, I don't know, thousands of people, it must be now, yeah. in exponential thinking, and through XPRIZE and others, you've also touched a lot of people and changed a lot of people's mindset about what is possible. Um, you know, when you go back to uh, the news reports on polio back in the early part of last century, it's written in such a way that people never thought it could be overcome. Right. Yeah. Um, today, when people speak about cancer, yes, incremental progress, but most people, when you ask them, they don't believe that in their lifetime we're going to see the management and containment you know, of cancer. So identify for us three or four things that you think we should apply exponential breakthrough thinking and we're not doing today. And we're going to look back 30, 40 years from now and say, we were people like polio you know, looking at polio the same way, that we should have had a different mindset. Sure. So let me talk about where the places we're doing X prizes as a, as a perfect example, right? So first of all, uh, we are in final steps for what I hope will be a $100 million cancer X prize for going beyond liquid biopsy, but for very early detection. Um, uh, something like a blood test or something like a, you know, a pap smear or something that is tens of dollars, very easy to do type of uh, detection. We're also working on a, an Alzheimer's X prize, same order of magnitude. Uh, one of my favorite prizes that I want to do right now is a fire detection and extinction X prize. The idea that we don't know when a fire starts is ridiculous, right? So this is a simple X prize uh, for me. Uh, a team is given 500 square kilometers of forest land, and you have to detect a fire above a certain lumen level, let's say five campfires worth, right? And you have to put it out within 10 minutes. And I don't care what, how you do it with drones, with water balloons, whatever the case might be. I think if that technology exists, you insurance makes it possible and deploys it across all forest lands. We don't have devastating forest fires again. Right? So I'd love to do that. Uh, working on a uh, earthquake prediction XPRIZE. I think it's a massive data play. There's no way in the world that a magnitude 6 earthquake doesn't leave uh, digital trails before it unleashes you know, 30 Hiroshima bombs of energy. Um, working on a, a hurricane trajectory prediction X prize. So it turns out that, uh, that you know, all those wide area projections of a hurricane cause devastation. And if you can measure wind velocity at 10 meters above the center of the eye of a hurricane, uh, that's the missing data. So is there a drone or a technology for doing that accurately? Uh, there's Energy X prize. We're working on a feeding the next billion X prize for uh, massive protein food production. The way that we grow our protein today, this is a planet for cows, if you didn't know. Right, one third of our non-ice land mass is used, hey Peter, is used for, uh, is used for livestock production. And that's crazy with CO2, water, energy, and so forth. So 
Uh, we've been working with a lot of the companies uh, that are in the beginning of cultured meat to create a large-scale cultured meat XPRIZE for, uh, for uh, meat and plant, or stem cell meat and plant-based derivative that tastes better than what you buy. And I guess finally, I know you've been thinking about housing for a while in terms yeah. of the ability to, not necessarily from an XPRIZE, but in general, can we provide housing you know, for folks? So with that, we have time for two questions, and we have two questioners. Most of these XPRIZES have to do with science and technology. Um, and or when they involve humans, they treat humans as individual units. How would you do an XPRIZE that involves connections between humans this, in this, the social space? And yeah. what, what would they be? Groups of people or? You mean uh, behavioral prizes? Yes. Yeah, so to be clear, uh, XPRIZES that have been successful so far have been for widgets, devices, transportation modes, and things like that where people can go and have a very clear measurable objective and can rapidly iterate. We've talked about doing competitions between uh, regions like cities or companies and so forth. One of my favorite XPRIZE ideas, and actually the very first person ever mentioned this was Larry Page, would be a, it's a two-part prize. One would be a happiness X, it's called a happiness XPRIZE. Could you build a device that could physiologically measure your state of happiness? Like, if I ask you right now, are you happy? I'm a seven, right? And if, uh, other times it might be a 10 or a two, whatever it is. But if you can actually accurately measure, then you can create a, you could create a policy change at Google and then measure, did it make people happier or not? So I think the ability to measure something first and then create state changes afterwards would be my, my approach to that. But we haven't done it successfully yet. We keep on banging our heads against it and continue to, but thank you for that. You talked a lot about accelerating technologies in the near term future, and my question had to do with, uh, do you think there's any risk of these accelerating technologies being misused by bad actors in the short or near term? Yes. I'm thinking of things like China's social credit system, which just seems kind of like, I don't know, a nightmare to me, but like, like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, the answer is of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just say, listen, the social credit system, uh, first of all, anybody who went through school and got an A, a B, or a C, or had a you know, review, we, we've had that all through our lives. It's the negative externalities that are the issue with that. But being able to tell a person how, there's good parts of a social credit system if it's for the upside, not for the downside. Sure. Um, just to be clear, not to defend what they're doing there, to be very clear. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I'm clear that even though the world is getting better by almost every measure, uh, uh, you know, the cost of food, energy, water, healthcare, all these things are plummeting as life is going up, as you know, childhood mortality rates have plummeted from 45% of people, of kids dying under age five to now 4%. All of these metrics are getting better and better. And I think they'll continue to. We're still going to have terrorism. We're still going to have warfare. We're still going to have a whole bunch of things. The thing that gives me the greatest hope for, uh, for not being decimated is that it's harder and harder to do anything in secret. It's, it's the flip side of loss of privacy. Right, sure. that uh, there are cameras all the time everywhere, right? A single autonomous car with a LiDAR generating 750 megabytes of data as it's going down the roads. Everything is being imaged. Whatever augmented reality goggles we're all going to be wearing are going to have you know, millimeter cameras looking out. You know, 1.6 million drones flying over the skies in the United States. So everything is going to be visualized. And so your ability to do something in secret becomes harder and harder. And that lets me sleep a little bit better at night. But ultimately, when I do my calculus, the question is, 
are there more good people in the world using these technologies or bad? Sure. Great. I'll leave that to you then. All right, thank you. Thank you. So final word of, of advice to those in this room, on live stream, and going to watch this on, on YouTube around the world. Um, you're at a company like Google, you're at another company, you're managing 5, 10, 20 people, uh, maybe 100 people. What is your advice to somebody as they're growing their career, as they're building products, um, to kind of tap into the kind of you know exponential focus that you have and you kind of live every day, but in the practical day-to-day -day sense, what is your advice to folks? So first of all, don't do anything you don't absolutely love doing. I, I don't have to say it more clearly than that. Uh, to do anything big and bold in the world and make a difference on the planet is hard. It's extraordinarily hard. And if you don't love doing what you're doing, you're going to give up before you get there. Right? So any of my successes are, you know, overnight successes after 11 years of hard work. And I just did not, I refused to give up. And sometimes there's an important point to give up. Uh, but I didn't, because you know, for XPRIZE, like my zero G company, which anybody here flown in zero G? Mark has, I know you have. Um, you know, it took 11 years to get FAA permission to do this with a 727. I had a chance to fly Stephen Hawking, you know, zero G was amazing. Um, but I just refused to give up. I mean, I was like battling the FAA, and I was saying, you're going to die or retire before I give up, was my attitude. And sometimes, because only because I cared about it that much. Uh, the other part is, and this is one of the ethos of Google, that the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities. Right? I mean, I, I tell people, it, probably the company that's made the biggest positive impact on the planet is Google. Right, in terms of, and you don't have to be a nonprofit to create an incredibly better world. Um, and then, you know, want to become a billionaire, help a billion people. So it's those kinds of mindsets, I think, that are convergent with the power that you have. Uh, and never underestimate what you can do. Each of you are extraordinarily powerful to solve problems. You just have to have the, that committed, passionate human mind. Great. Peter, thank you, thank you very much. Thank Great you. to have you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca, or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space, and if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.